If you have your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We have been walking through the book of Ephesians. We started, um, we started a few months ago, and we've been, we've been kind of walking through verse by verse, and we noted that the book of Ephesians is, um, the first part is um, really, well, we, 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 the first part of the book is really about the mind and about understanding, and Paul's prayers and Paul's teaching is a lot about know this, get this into your soul, um, have this part of you, the inside part. And as we get into chapter 4, and we're in chapter 4 right now, it starts to work its way out. And if you read in 4.17, it says, Now I say this and testify in the Lord, you, know, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And this idea, we first ran across this idea of walking in Ephesians 2.2, and it talks about you walked on the path of this world. And in Ephesians 2.2, it talked about you were dead in your trespasses and sins because you walked on the path of the world. And this verb to walk in, in Jewish mindset, in the Jewish mindset, and Paul is Jewish, he's in Gentile, he's in Greco-Roman areas. He actually, when he's writing this, um, he's writing this to um, southwestern Turkey. And as he writes, but in his mind, his thought process is Jewish. And so this idea of walking is an idiomatic way of talking about a manner of living. And he said, you were walking according on the path of the world. You had a way of living that was on the path of the world. And this idea of this Jewish way of thinking, um, this, it's what's called in Jewish mindset, um, it's called halakhic wisdom. It's, and the book of Proverbs is a great example of like, don't do this. There's a path of the righteous and a path of the wicked. It's a two-path idea. And you can either be on the path of the righteous, the path of God, the path of blessing, or you can be on the path of the wicked. And Paul says he brings us into these people who were not Jewish, they didn't know this mindset, and he said, look, there's two paths and you guys were on the wrong one. The path that leads to the place you don't want to go to. It might seem like a great path, it's wide, it's beautiful, but it's not leading in the right direction. And the first three chapters of Ephesians was about knowing and understanding. The second half of Ephesians is about walking. It's about walking. And particularly what we heard about a couple weeks ago in 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You've been called, and, and Paul wants to get this stuff into you. And now that you have this stuff in you, now I want you to walk. And the way you walk is a manner worthy. So here's, here's the calling. Here's the calling. And if you've, if you've heard of Jesus and you've put your faith in Jesus, you've turned to face Jesus, you've trusted Jesus, you've entrusted your life to Jesus, this is what's true of you and this is what Paul has said about you in the book of Ephesians. You have been chosen. You've been adopted. You have an inheritance. You've been deeply loved. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You've been sealed by the Spirit of God. There are riches of mercy. Riches of grace. Salvation is by grace through faith. There's hope and love and power. You were far off, but God came to you. He offered you a sign of peace. He said to you, hey, peace be with you. 
He came and preached peace to those who were far off. And then he said, you have been rooted and grounded in love that surpasses knowledge. That's the calling. That's the calling. And now Paul says, all right, how do we walk? How do we walk now? Are you guys with me? How do we walk? If that's our calling, how do we walk? And here's the, here's the important thing. I think this passage, this passage is going to sound like a lot of do's and don'ts, all right? As, as a lot of the Bible does. I will say this. I've studied the Bible. It has a lot of things. You should do this, and you shouldn't do this, okay? I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of do's and don'ts. But here's the deal. This passage, walking, walking only makes sense if you've already stood in grace. You've got to stand in grace in order to walk in a manner worthy. So I want, I want you to hear this passage in light of that. If we just take this passage, if you're watching online and you're watching in the future and you just hear this passage, you've got to go back and you've got to stand in grace first before you get to this, all right? But it does say something, and we do need to get it into us, so let's hear what it has to say. So let's talk about walking. How do we walk? Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. There are three verses right in the middle of this. Thank you, Tracy, for reading this for us this morning. It's a long passage. It's a long passage, maybe not as long as Rob's. uh, Or no, it was Steve. Steve had a really long one. That was good. But right in the middle, there's these three verses, and this is the the manner of walking. This, in a nutshell, is what the manner worthy of walking, the walking in a manner worthy is. 422, and it's got three parts. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so in this walking, this walking in a manner worthy has these three movements in it. It's taking off, being renewed, and then putting on something new. Taking off something old, being renewed, and then putting on the new Self. That is, that's really the pattern that we're going to see here. It's not a one-time pattern. Pattern. It's an ongoing walk. This is the idea of walking in a manner worthy. And Paul's going to kind of work with us here and walk us through this, no pun intended, walk us through this idea. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk a little bit about what is the old self? What is he talking about the old self? What is the process of renewing the mind and putting on the new self? All right? You guys with me? Again, you got to stand in grace before you can walk. And so I want you to hear this in this way. Um, and we're gonna, I'm going to reflect a little bit at the end that in our society today, um, what I'm going to say is very controversial. That it is not well received. And we're going we're gonna to talk about why that is. But 417 is this. So what is the old self? The old self, Paul is going to describe in 417 through 19. It says this, 417. Now I say... This I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, which is kind of funny because they are all Gentiles, who he's writing to. Gentiles are people who are not Jewish. And he says, hey, you Gentiles, don't walk as Gentiles. And I think in some ways, you could could take, um, I mean, insert the word, for me, like let's just insert the word American in there. Hey, Americans, don't walk like an American. 
And you would know what I'm saying, that there are some things about our culture that it would be like, hey, probably those are some things. You're like, all the Canadians are like, yes, Canadians. I would say the same thing. Throw, throw it off, right? But there are things about our culture, whatever culture we've come from, that do not line up with the sensibilities of the kingdom of God in whatever culture you have come from. And what he's saying here is, essentially, don't walk in those ways. You, know, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Just some phrases in here. What is the old self? The old self is darkened. The old self is alienated from the life of God. The old self, the, there's a way God does things and thinks about things that the old self does not know about, is not aware of. The old self, there's an ignorance about the things of God. In the old self, there is a hardness. Probably a better, a better word there is, um, rather than hardness of heart, a dullness of heart. There's, there's a sense in which the old self has stopped feeling things, particularly as it pertains to God, that the old self has, and he uses another word, he says it's calloused. The heart has become dull because the heart has become calloused. And the irony is that this heart that has become dull, like what you've stopped feeling, you've started to want to feel in all the members of your body, the sensuality. Like you want to feel all the feels except for the feels of God. Does that sound like anything in our culture? <laughs> like I want to feel all the feels, but I don't want to, I don't want to face, turn and face God and feel that. So this idea that this is the old self, this idea of given over to the senses. And I think what is particularly helpful when we think about the old self, um, we think about this, this, this way, the, the, the path, the path, the, the path that is not the path of God, the old way. Maybe the best word, the best word is in 417. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then um, in your Bibles, it says, in the futility of their minds, the futility and this is why this is, I think this is why this is significant, okay? And you're going to, I'm going to go in geek mode here. I'm going to shift gears into geek mode, so hang with me, okay? Um, all right, so the word for futility is the word matayotes, okay? Hang with me. Okay, now here's the deal. When the rabbis, in, in the ancient world, in second century BC, Jewish rabbis were translating the Hebrew Old Testament, which is in Hebrew, into Greek, and all because Greek had become the dominant language, Alexander the Great, the whole thing, okay, you guys get, okay, I'm not going to go that far in, but I already did, Just hang with me, okay. Hebrew Old Testament gets translated into Greek, it's called the Septuagint, okay, it's, got, it's, it's LXX, it said the word, number 70, Roman numeral 70, okay, I'm still, you're with me, and your eyes are making eye contact, so I know you're here, okay. Hebrew Old Testament gets translated into Greek. When they get to the book of Ecclesiastes, they get to the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a word, again, Sesame Street, if it's brought to you, it's brought to you by the word Hebel. Okay, the word Hebel, Hebrew word Hebel. And in the word, if you've read it, how many people in here have read Ecclesiastes? Ver, first two verses of Ecclesiastes, what does it say? 
Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And you're like, vanity? What the heck? Like vanity fair? Like whatever. But there's the word vanity, the word hebel, can be, is translated in different ways. If you look at like the NIV, the NIV translates it as meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. The Common English Bible says pointless, pointless, everything is pointless. Empty, empty, everything is empty. It's the word hebel. And they ask the question, how do we translate this Hebrew word hebel into Greek? And the word that they land on is the word matayotes, the word that we have here. And when the Apostle Paul says in verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the matayotes of their mind, he has just brought the whole book of Ecclesiastes into this verse. All of the search for wealth and meaning and knowledge, pointless, pointless, it's all pointless. Koheleth, the author of Ecclesiastes, now comes flooding into this verse to say, I have something to say. What you're pursuing is meaningless. And Paul, with one word, does this literary leap where he brings an entire book into this passage. And if you've read Ecclesiastes, it's this, very, it's this weird, comforting, if you're a cynic, like if you love sarcasm and cynicism, you love Ecclesiastes. If you're a student, you love where it says, in the, in the learning of many books, there is much toil, Right? You're like, you just, you own it. You're like, yes, I get it. Like, it's meaningless. What the heck? But I'm still doing it. I don't know why. Okay. But you understand what Paul is doing here is he's bringing in this great Hebrew thought into this text. And I would just urge you, like, if, you, if you've not kind of looked at Ecclesiastes, he's saying this, this path that you are on is a path of pointlessness, and ultimately, it's a path of destruction. And what Paul is going to say is that no longer should you walk on that path. No longer should you wear those clothes. You need to take those clothes off, and you need to put on new clothes. You guys with me on this? Ah, so it's, it's, it's an amazing literary device that Paul has put in here. When Paul wants to describe the old self, the former manner of life, the life of dullness, hardness, darkened, unfamiliar with the ways of God, he says, hey, you remember that book, Ecclesiastes, what that guy said? Empty, empty, what you are pursuing is empty. Don't walk in the emptiness. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. I think one of the most significant things that Paul will say in this is in verse 22, this idea of walking in futility and emptiness. Maybe the most significant thing in, in our three verses that we were looking at about what this is, about taking off, being renewed, and putting on, he says, put off, take off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt, corrupt through deceitful desires. This is so insightful by Paul. He says, we have desires that deceive us. Like, here's, you might have experienced this. Maybe you haven't. It's, this is just me. I'm just talking to me. Okay? And again, every once in a while, I'll come in. I'll do a little self-report. 
okay? Usually it has to do with something I bought at Trader Joe's, okay? And usually it's like some kind of treat, like I really love the Halloween JoJo's, right? I love the Halloween JoJo's, they're my favorite. But every once in a while I'll buy a box of Halloween JoJo's and what will I do? Will I eat one? No, I will not eat one, right? I will follow my desires, it seems right in the moment, and what will I do? I will eat as many as I can or the entire box, make sure that I take the box and I throw it away and put other trash on top of it so no one knows that I've done it, all right? Okay, and I know that's just me, no one else in here does that. Now, here's the thing, why is that desire deceitful? Well, for so many reasons. Like, look, I'm 50 years old. The body does not metabolize what it used to. Like, I don't feel good. The next morning I get on the scale, I'm like, why did I go up three pounds? Well, probably because you ate a whole box of JoJo's. It's a deceitful desire. It feels like it's going to get you where you want to go. But in the end, it, doesn't, it puts you on the wrong path. And the Apostle Paul says, look, the, way, this, the old self, the old way, is a path of deceitful desires. You think it's going to get you in the right direction. In the book of Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. Deceitful desires, or um, Smashing Pumpkins fans, Billy Corrigan, betrayed desires. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about? Bullet with butterfly wings. I just was like, okay. 90s grunge rock. All right, I'm just, thank you. I appreciate you. I have one person who understands me. That's okay. Um, but this, the idea that we have desires, these desires betray us. We have them, they feel so right. They feel so good. We think they're going to get us where we want to go. But after we do it, we're betrayed. And it's the, the hard thing about it is not even, it's not even the devil or the, the world around. It's, it's ourselves. It's our own desires that betray us. And Paul says, look, you are on a path where you've just followed your intuitive desires. And this is one of the things that we talked about, that there, the path towards becoming, when we follow Jesus... And we pray, Lord, make me like Jesus. We're praying, God, make me into something I am not already. And, that I, and the path to getting there is not a path of my own intuition. Jesus himself, the Sermon on the Mount is full of, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Like there's a conventional wisdom about this, but Jesus is a lot about unconventional wisdom. He's like the path to greatness is by going down. What? It doesn't sound right. It sounds like the path to greatness is climbing, but climbing might get you to the top of the mountain, but you'll get there alone. And Jesus is like, well, what is that going to get you? Our intuitive desires, one of the things we have to do when we come and we, we put our faith in Jesus and we turn to him, one of the things we do is we turn away from this idea that my desires are going to get me where I need to go. And we say, we humbly say, Lord, that's not true. Your way is going to be the way that gets me where I need to go. 
and it is a struggle, a process, your whole life. I shouldn't say your whole life, my whole life. It's for my whole life. I, I don't want to speak for you guys because you got it down, right? Um, but it's a process that we walk in our whole lives. Now, what does this look like? What does this look like? Okay, this idea we've got betrayed desire, we have deceitful desires. Okay, we have desires that are in us that are leading us into things that might seem right but are not going to get us where we need to go. And so, Paul gives us well, I, we talked about sugar, we talked about even think about this that even the desire for success or fame. How many people who have, who have accomplished, they've had success and they've, they've had fame, at the end of the day find themselves successful but alone? Or famous but resenting the people who want a piece of them? Betrayed desires. It, you don't have to look far in our culture of people who have accomplished what they wanted to accomplish but hate it now. Deceitful desires. All right, I could go on, but I, I won't. Um, I'll save it for the end. Okay, so here's the pattern. This is what, this is what he says. So if you, if you want to walk not on, the path, not on the path of intuitive desires, deceitful desires, if you want to walk on the path of the new person, this is the pattern. You take it off, you be renewed, and then you put it on. So 422, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, what does this look like? What does this look like? Okay, the best I can understand through, through reading what Paul writes here as well as what Paul writes elsewhere, it is simply this. Elsewhere, like in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? He also says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he talks about that we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We take every thought captive, this idea of renewing of the mind. In this passage, it says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Romans 12 says, be renewed, the renewing of your mind or taking every thought captive. I think this is, and then what he'll do is he'll walk through this idea of taking captive every thought. So look at 425. Here's the idea. 425 says this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So here's the idea. You have a thought, and you stop. You have a desire, and you stop. And here's the thing about the Christian life. The Christian life, when you come to faith in Jesus, God says, hey, one of the things that I want you to do is I just want you to question your desires. I just want you to question your desires. You want something, but I want you to ask the question, why do you want it? And how are you going to try to get it? And one, is it is a desire worth having? And is the way you think you're going to get to it the way that I want you to get to it? So have a desire, stop, and here's this, he talks about the spirit of your mind. Invite the spirit into that desire. Stop, think about your desire, invite the spirit into your desire, into your thought. And I think this is the idea of renewing. You renew it, you take that thing, which is part of the old, and you bring the spirit in and you ask, hey spirit, would you give me some comment on this? 
Would you give me some guidance on this? Like, I feel like this is the way, but like, if it's not the way, I need you to comment on this. And so what Paul says is, look, you, you want to lie. You're, you're, you know, why do people lie? They lie because they want to get something that they shouldn't necessarily have, or they, they want something and they, they lie in order to get it. And so this idea, I'll say anything in order to get what I want. And what you want to do is, he says, look, just stop. Invite the Spirit into that moment, into that question. Uh, what is it that you want? Is it worth developing a reputation where you're not a truth teller? Talk about like the boy who cried wolf. I, well, you know, one of the things, um, <sighs> betrayed desires. Um, one, of the, one of the illustrations that I was going to give is, and am now, is the parable of King Midas. You guys know the parable of King Midas? Where um, King Midas was a king and uh, he, he loved gold coins. He loved gold coins. And so he, he would even like to cover himself in gold coins. Um, king Midas would, um, he would gather all, he loved gold. And so one day he had this opportunity. Um, one of the gods, Dionysus, we don't have to go into the whole thing, but he gets this wish. And the wish is that he wishes that everything he touches turns to gold. You guys remember the Midas touch? He'd get the Midas touch. And so he gets up and he touches the table. It turns to gold. He's like, this is awesome! Because he loves gold. He wants to be rich. So he's going around his house, he's running around, he's touching everything, he's like, I got all this gold, and finally he gets tired, and he, oh man, and he's like, I'm, I'm hungry, so he grabs a grape. He's like, ah, oh. so he goes out to walk, and he sees a rose, and he's like, oh, that's beautiful, I want to smell that rose, and it turns to gold, and he can't smell it, and he starts to realize what he's done, he's weeping, he's weeping for what he's done. And his daughter in the other room hears him and she comes rushing in to comfort him. And she grabs him and hugs him and she turns to gold. The very thing he thought he wanted destroyed him. I think what's interesting about the parable of King Midas, King Midas was a real king. He actually was a real king in the seven churches region, in Phrygia, in Turkey. He didn't actually turn things to gold. That's made up part of the story. But he was, a, he was a real king. And all this to say is that in the moment, to think about, think about this. What is it that you really want? Do you want to lie to get your way? Or do you realize that that will, that will destroy your community? Like Paul says, he says, look, if, this idea that if you lie, you got to remember we are members of one another. Think about this, verse 26, about anger, anger. Look, I'm angry, and, and the word anger there is the idea that you've been provoked to anger. Somebody's done you wrong. Look, my path is, well, the righteous indignation of Pastor Craig is going to come down on you, right? Just like Hulk Hogan, okay? This idea that there, that, and you might be, you're like, my wrath, it's boiling up. And he says this, look, if you're going to be angry, he says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Like, should I give full vent to my anger? It feels right. Does it not feel right, everybody? Look, I, I've got the shirt that says dad's mad. I've had the full vent of my anger. But what I realize is like, it doesn't make the people, it might make me feel good in the moment. It doesn't draw anyone near me. It doesn't make anyone else feel good. 
And so, and, and, if I, and if I let this sit in me, it's going gonna, it's gonna to boil and it's going to take root and there's going to be a root of bitterness and resentment. If I give full voice to my anger, it's going to kill me. And it's going to drive people away. And so he says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Here's the thing. One of the things that we have to realize is that these are not just good tips and tricks for how to become like Jesus. I think sometimes we read the Bible, these are tips and tricks. Like, hey, anger, don't be angry. Like, okay, mark anger on my list and I'll make sure I stay away from like, that. But what we, we, what we don't understand and what we don't read originally is that these are not tips and tricks. These are acts of war. In 2 Corinthians, he makes it more clear in 2 Corinthians. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God because we take every thought captive. When we stop and we invite the Spirit into the moment, that is an act of warfare. I will not be caught by the web of this world, the corruption of this world. I will not, like, it might be my own, it might be my own desire, but there, might, there could be spiritual powers that are whispering to me, they're trying to influence. There's a corruption of this world. And even the same way, like when we worship alongside people that we have no business worshiping alongside, it's, a, it's an act of warfare. When we, when we resist our regular intuitions and we invite the Spirit into the moment, it is an act of saying, Jesus is in charge, you're not, I am going to listen to his way and not my own way or the way of the world. I am not going to walk on the path of the world. I'm going to walk on the path of Jesus, the way of the Spirit. It's actually, it's not a tip or trick. It is, it's, it's an act of war against the dark powers of this world. I've been provoked to anger, and what feels good is to give full vent to my righteous indignation, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to invite the Spirit in. If I give full vent, this is going to damage this relationship. If I let this fester, it's going to become bitterness. In either case, if I give full vent, it will give the devil a foothold. It will give the devil a foothold, it will give him a place. Stealing, look at stealing, 428. 428, let the thief no longer steal. Let him rather labor, doing honest work with his own hands so he might have something to share with someone else. I want what I want. I need money. I need that thing. Before you steal, stop. Is there another way? And this idea, like, it's a great reversal. Not only am I take, I'm not going to not take something that doesn't belong to me. I'm going to work with my hands so that I have enough for me and enough to share. It's a great reversal. It's a great reversal, and it's not just a great moral lesson. It's an act of war, of spiritual war. 429, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I mean, we've been there, and our mouths have all gotten us all in trouble. 
I mean, just me, again, not you. I have this really funny thing to say, but it's going to be at the expense of someone else. Or like, this person is a real idiot, and I know exactly what to say to put them right in their place. Boom, roasted, right? And I know exactly what it is, and I'm frankly skilled at it, and the Lord has given me the spiritual gift of putting people down. No, that's not true. That's not a spiritual gift. Stop. Invite the Spirit into that moment. I would even say this. Invite your mom into that moment because your mom has probably said something like, if you don't have anything nice to say, there, see, I knew the Holy Spirit was working in you all. That's, my, that's the Mother's Day sermon. The Mother's Day sermon will, will uh, for, for sure. That, but they, this is the idea. Like, even that is like, intuitive. Like, that's mom wisdom going on there. But stop. Invite the Spirit into that moment. Put on the new self, and what are you going to do? If I don't have anything good to say, I'm not going to say anything. But if I have something that can build up, or even, and isn't this beautiful, that my words can actually offer grace to someone? Like, have you ever been around someone that you know their words offer grace? Man, you want to see that person as much as you can. Because you know when you're around them that they're going to say something, that they, that they love you. It's not just a tip and trick to win friends. It's an act of war. When you see the perfect post to put that other, that other, those other people in their place on Facebook, because Facebook is the most awesome place for me to drop the mic whenever I can, right? When you see that post and you're like, yeah, I'm not going to forward that along. Like, I might agree with them politically, but like, that's not the tone I want to set. Like, and these other people, they're humans. That's not just you uh, acting on a tip or a trick. That is you in spiritual war. And there, there, is, there is, frankly, no other place where we need that sort of warfare to be happening than inviting the Spirit into those moments where we mouse-click or we have that thing to say and we just say, you know what? That's not, that's not going to help this debate. It's not going to help this debate. We're not going to make any progress if we just yell at each other and call each other names and think of each other as less than human. It's not going to move this along. And by refusing to participate in that, you can have your opinions, but refusing to participate in that, it's an act of war. Saying the way, the way of Christ, the way of love is going to win. Look at the very end of this passage. The very end of this passage is, is straight up spiritual war. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. You feel those things? Stop. Invite the Spirit into that. And then it says, the greatest verses of warfare that we could read. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
When was the last time on Facebook or social media you were like, man, that person is tender-hearted? Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When you're kind, when you're tender-hearted, it is an act of war. If you're a fighter and you want to fight, be as kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another. That will be the most meaningful act of fighting that you can do. Because our weapons are not flesh. We destroy the devil when we take every thought captive. Ephesians is such an interesting book at the beginning. It's all these great feelings like, oh, we're adopted, we're loved. And as it gets, we get going, we're like, oh, well, we need to worship alongside that person too, okay. And then, like, then you get into passage like this. It's like, well, I've got to take this off and put this on. Look, in chapter 6, you're going to be putting on armor to go to war. Like, Paul is, like, leading us into this, like, here's where we are, but listen, this is the reality of the overlap of the ages. The rulers of this world, your flesh, the corruption of this place, the sons of disobedience, like, they're vying for power, but Jesus is the true king. Who's going to win? And as you become more like Christ, as you stop and as you invite the Spirit into your moments, as I invite the Spirit into my moments of my intuitive way. It's the most meaningful act of warfare that we can commit on this earth for the sake of the gospel. To be kind, to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, to love with the love of Christ. I would say this, when you follow your way, there's no tension in your life. When you just follow your own intuition, there's no tension. I just do whatever I want to do, right? When we go through this process, there's tension in our lives, and we might feel it. And we have to say, look, Jesus, this is hard, and there's tension in my life. And he'll say, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. And this is the beautiful thing about God. God is not going to come to you, and like, it's not like the Holy Spirit's going to come and like, everything that's wrong with you, we're going to fix today, <laughs> right? That would overwhelm us, like it put us in the fetal position, right? He's like, hey, today we're just going to work on this. Have you ever gone through a season of your life where you just feel like the Spirit is saying, hey, in this season we're working on this? It might be different next week or next month. It might be different, but this is the way the Spirit works. It's not all at once, and we're going to walk, and, and, and the people around you are going to be in process as well. That's why it's so important to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving one another, because we're all in process on this. Now, here's the deal, as we kind of wrap this up. Just, even, even me preaching this sermon, the idea that we have deceitful desires and that we should question our desires, like if, if I walked out into the public square and just like in, in a, um, gave a speech at a secular university or something like that and just said, you know what we really need to do is we have these desires, we just need to question them. Like that, that's not going to go over well. How, who are you to tell me about my desires? Like, my desires, this is who I am. My desires are who I am. And even this, we, you feel the tension. You think this isn't warfare? You think about the tension that we have. And one of, the basic, one of the, basic, the basic sense of discipleship 
is simply coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, reorder my life as to how you want it. I'm going to give you my desires and my hopes, and I'm going to let you comment on them. And we, we shouldn't be surprised if people who don't love Jesus or don't bow the knee to Jesus, they don't believe that desires are deceitful. I think it is funny, though, because we do think that there are some desires that are deceitful, but not other things. And all I want to say is that, look, it's one of the things that we do when we're believers is we question our desires. But we shouldn't be amazed when other people are like, I don't want to question my desires. And the reason why they don't want to question their desires is they haven't met Jesus. And I would just say this, just introduce them to Jesus. Just say, hey, have you ever thought about Jesus? And they might say, well, Jesus, yeah, he was a great teacher, but, you know, he's not God. I'm like, you're like, well, okay, he's a great teacher. Why don't you just read the Sermon on the Mount? Because I got news, like, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is all about questioning your desires. The whole thing is about questioning my intuitive desires. And I think just introduce, just say, hey, have you ever thought about Jesus? All right, let's pray. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Father, we're grateful this morning, and I know this is, a, this is a lot. This can feel a little bit, this is getting close to home is what I should pray. And um, it's awesome to think about that we have been adopted and elected and that you've done this work and that you love us, and those are awesome things. And now, Father, we are in a place where we now want to walk in a manner worthy. And Father, this is going to produce tension. We know it produces tension, not only in our own lives, but in our relationships. And so we just ask for the grace that we need in order to do this well. We ask, Father, that you would give us a rich sense of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray that you would give us pause in the moments that we need. And I pray, Father, for every person here that there were just, even just if it's one moment this week where we recognize the presence of your Spirit in a difficult moment and we take a thought captive that we would realize you are at work in our lives. Father, we love you. We come here because we believe, Jesus, you are king. That, Father, it is your plan that Holy Spirit, that you are empowering us here on earth. We look forward to the day where we will be face to face. But until then, would you provide the help we need? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.